I left the city, I've been browsing. Treading water that they drowning. My head on the swivel. Yeah. It's only really my surroundings. Hello and welcome to episode 149 of the Smash Accept Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Royer. You can find me on Twitter at DynastyDadFF. We are right in the middle of, you know, day one of the NFL draft is over. We're in the middle of that draft. No better person to chop it up with and another collaboration with my man, Dynasty Zoltan. How you doing today? Good, man. Had a hell of a night last night. Awesome day one. Really lived up to all the expectations we wanted from it. From a fantasy perspective, we got a ton of skill position players. I'm, I'm pretty pumped up about day one. So we talk about, you know, draft day is literally our Christmas, you know, yeah. like us in the dynasty community. And you tell that to people in, in even in redraft and they're like, they're way behind on the times. They don't get it. You tell it to someone else. You're like, hey, this is it, man. And, and for us, we in our discord last night, you know, guys just talking nonstop about it in the, in the family. I know that you guys were as well. And it's just like, it's so much fun. Like literally you're talking about every pick and this year, everyone's been talking, hey, you know what? This class isn't that special. You and I have been on it since day one about how good this class is going to be. And we got validation in that. I mean, we literally, you're looking at four, four wide receivers in that first round, three quarterbacks taken in the first four picks, two running backs, and then we get Kincaid mixed in the end. I mean, this first round, right now, I have a rock-solid set. I mean, there are 10 guys that went that are going to go round one in your, in your dynasty rookie drafts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all 10 of these guys should go round one. Um and really, it was just as good as you could hope for. I mean, these running back landing spots in draft capital is absolutely insane. Seeing two guys in the top 12, we hadn't seen a guy go that high since Saquon Barkley in 2018. Um, just absolutely great for all those 105s, the 106s, like we've been talking about. Uh, the wide receiver landing spots are very interesting. I've already heard a lot of conflicting views. So we're going to get to that a little bit later, but I I'm excited to try to figure out what all this means. Yeah, I mean, the running back part is awesome because we haven't had two guys go top 12 for seven years. I mean, it's been a, yeah. a long time coming, and I, I'm excited to just break down each one. I mean, we could talk this way all day, but let's just start right at the top. I mean, Bryce Young goes with that first pick overall, you know, and we all kind of know that for a, for a couple weeks here. Stroud goes two, Richardson goes four, you know, and it's we have not had a draft look like this at the top for quite some time. And I know we can go piece by piece, but let's start with, with Bryce Young. So Bryce Young gets the landing spot of Carolina, which you and I both have, have approved in the, in the past. Talk to me a little bit about your instant reaction to all three of these guys, because it's just, we're going to have to dissect it. We're going to have to talk about it all off season. You know, what kind of tier is there for you with the top and how do you separate it right now? Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, you mentioned three quarterbacks in the top four, only the third time since 1999 that that's happened. We had the uh, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, uh, Trevor Lawrence draft, and then we had Dante Culpepper, sorry, sorry Donovan McNabb, uh, Tim Couch, and Achilles Smith back in 1999. So this is not as common of an occurrence as you'd think. It's also, by the way, the first time that three black quarterbacks were drafted in the top 10, which is mm -hmm. great to see some of the bias from against black quarterbacks seems to be going away in the NFL. So that's yeah. great. Shout but, out to, I was watching today, Doug Williams, you know, started that whole path and it's just, yeah. it's awesome now. And, and hopefully we get into next year and we just say quarterbacks, you know, we just get 100%. into this area where it's like, there has been such a, a disconnect there and that's just awesome to see. Yep, definitely. So back to the dynasty implications. I mean, the number one thing I want to mention is Anthony Richardson. I, I know you asked about Bryce Young, and for me, it seems like those two are the clear QB1 and QB2 in this class. Bryce Young, we've known the landing spot for a little while. It's a decent landing spot. I don't think it's excellent, right? They traded away DJ Moore. There is not a whole lot on that team. They have a strong defense, which means that they might not rely on him throwing the ball a lot. Um, they just signed Miles Sanders. I expect him to have a pretty heavy workload as well. They have a solid offensive line. It's just an okay landing spot. It doesn't really change much for me. Um, I would like to see them really improve their offensive line. I, I believe they have all five starters returning from last That's season, yeah. which is really good for a guy like Bryce Young who needs those throwing lanes, especially throwing over the middle, because height does matter. I, I know it's not everything, but a guy who's 5'10 and 200 pounds soaking wet, it's, it's going to matter for him to be able to see over those offensive linemen. So 
I'm okay with the Bryce Young landing spot, but the Anthony Richardson one is what gets me really excited. I'm amped. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I mean, we've already heard from the offensive coordinator today that it sounds like Richardson's going to start day one. He said quotes like, the only way to find out how good he is and to improve is to get game reps. He talked about Gardner Minshew and essentially said, you know, we love Gardner. We signed him for a reason. But yeah, it's pretty clear what's going to happen with Anthony Richardson. So starting from day one with arguably the best running back in the NFL next to him, this read option game is going to be absolutely elite. I'm, I'm really excited for Anthony Richardson there. I mean, Shane Steichen comes in, right? And he wants to, he, he brings in Gardner Minshew was the backup to Jalen Hurts. What's the best way to start mirroring that in order and, and draft a guy that has that kind of upside? Yeah. You know, like this is going to be a fun offense. Mike, if I came to you and said, you know, he starts all 17 games, is there a scenario where he isn't top 12 with that rushing upside, with that that's, that ceiling that he has year one? Is that an option? I don't see it, no. I mean, he we've talked about this in the past when I, you know, said that he was my 102. His floor is just so high because he's going to get 50 rushing yards a game. He's going to get 8 to 10 rushing touchdowns. And once you factor in that workload, he only has to get 150 passing yards and one touchdown a game exactly. in order to get to that top 12 place. And he could go, he could get significantly higher than that. He could be putting up 20, 22 points per game if he really gets that rushing workload. And and I think he will. Like Shane Steichen took him for a reason. Watch obviously all these guys after they draft the player, they're really excited. But watching the video uh, that the Colts put out, uh, a lot of in-depth uh, behind-the-scenes look into uh, the Colts, uh, you know, scouting room. And they're all saying, you know, this guy should have been the 101. He's a generational mm-hmm. talent. Like, it's things that we've known. And I really think that they're going to have a plan to use him. I, I think Richardson is going to be really good year one. And but if he's top 12 year one, his dynasty value is just going to go through the roof, which I which I think is the point you're trying to get at. Absolutely. So, I mean, if he ends up putting up, there, you know, there's Pittman there. They still have some options in it with the second round picks and things like that. I think there's a scenario there where he becomes a round one startup pick next year. You know, if he goes out there and he is a guy that, you know, we see that where he's going to have that same kind of, you could see him having a Justin Fields year from last year where he has top eight to 12 based off the rushing upside alone. You know, because when you look at Fields last year, I mean, the, the passing stats and that was not impressive at all. But if I told you that Anthony Richardson was going to run for 700 yards, you'd be putting him in that area. And I think we have to at least start thinking about him value-wise that he is the 102 in this draft. And it's going to be quite the value. I know there's a lot of people out there saying, well, JSN belongs up at two or Bryce Young was the one. You and I have both been there recently. It's got to be Anthony Richardson. The real question now to me is how close is one versus two? You know, we did that podcast where I jumped on yours and we talked about Bijan and Bijan hit that landing spot that we wanted in Atlanta. I still don't think it's all that close, but at least you can start thinking about it of that change from one to two is it used to be about a first. Is it still a first indifference between the one and the two for you? Well, I like that Justin Fields comp, by the way, to take a step back because I just looked this up. Justin Fields last year averaged exactly 150 passing yards a game. And he averaged, and he had 17 t- passing touchdowns in 15 games. So that's exactly what I mentioned with Richardson. Right on. 150 passing yards, one passing touchdown. That's all it takes. And, you know, Fields put up 1,100 rushing yards. Maybe Richardson only gets to 900, but he'll still be the lead option. Um, back to the Bijan question. I still think there's a gap because mm-hmm. oh, there's sure. a lot of risk with Anthony Richardson. Even if he puts up a top 12 season, he could look terrible, like worse than Justin Fields look. Justin Fields is a different level college prospect compared to Anthony Richardson. I I don't think just in terms of how capable he was at Ohio State, the offense that he ran at Ohio State. I mean, Justin Fields only had 400 rushing yards his last season at Ohio State. It just, Mm -hmm. they threw the ball all the time. So there's a scenario where Anthony Richardson just looks terrible. He could get benched midway through the season he could look terrible in minicamp and they could decide to start off the season with Minshew because he needs more time. All of these scenarios are in play. I see no scenario where Bijan isn't absolutely outstanding. And, and we can talk a little bit about that landing spot once we get later into the draft, but I, I still have quite a sizable gap. I wouldn't give 
a random 2024 first because I don't like to do that. But if you, if I could move up from 102 to 101 by paying, let's say, a mid-second in this class, I would absolutely do that. I like that. You know, you're, you're right with Richardson when it comes to that is like only 13 career starts. So the yep. risk is a little bit higher, you know, and, and I've, I've been posting this quite a bit where, yeah, the risk is higher, but the floor on a weekly basis, the floor for year one is considerably higher. The ceiling is way higher. So before we move off the quarterbacks, I mean, you look at, we talked about Richardson, what kind of ceiling he has. Let's talk about Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. Neither of them go into ideal situations as far as weapons around them you know both of them newer coaching staff but those two guys what kind of ceiling do we have with Bryce Young and CJ Stroud you know in that a lot of people are putting him in that in that Dak Prescott's the ceiling Jared Goff's the floor kind of area what do you see when you watch both these guys because I know you've dug into both of them extensively on their tape yeah so I'm really worried about C.J. Stroud. He he was actually my favorite quarterback. If I had the 101, if I was the Panthers, I would have taken C.J. Stroud. Mm-hmm. However, he's going to a team that has no offensive weapons, have one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. Mm-hmm. They just traded their 2024 first, which was a massive mistake to get Will Anderson. I, I don't understand them doing nothing against Will Anderson. I, I'm not a defensive scout, but giving up a potential top five pick next year. That could be the Caleb Williams pick next year. I I just don't understand that at all. So I think Stroud is in a tough situation with a really bad organization. And he's the type of player where, as we know, he's only been throwing to elite weapons for his entire college career. And he has excellent ball placement. He has excellent processing, but he's not a guy who's going to be creative. And with a bad offensive line in front of him and without players who are going to get open, he's going to need to show a little bit more of that creativity. So I'm worried about Stroud. I I think that his short-term ceiling is very low. I don't think he's going to be startable, even in super flex leagues as a rookie. Uh, A lot of rookies aren't, but I think Stroud is probably going to be the worst of the three in 2023. And I'm worried about his long-term ceiling just because if, if he gets a tough start, he could be the type of quarterback that just busts out a little bit. Um, I still have faith in him. He's still, you know, a top four, top five pick for me. I'm, I'm kind of flipping between him and Gibbs right now. I can't really decide, but I'm solidly Bryce Young over CJ Stroud. I, I think he, it's really less about the fit and more the fact that Bryce Young is just more creative. He has a lot higher upside given his rushing capability that I don't think Stroud really has um yeah and that's where pre-draft i had put i had moved richardson up to two and then i put i had stroud three and young five but i said based on the landing spot that could flip-flop because i thought all along i had stroud as my qb1 early on in the process thinking he's going to carolina a little bit more of a stable situation and you know we saw it on his tape like he's not great outside the pocket making things happen where Bryce Young is he's a lot more creative in that situation so I think that definitely flip-flops them for me as well as much as I love Stroud you know pre-process I feel like I, I most people in this industry you know and I think you've seen it around they don't want to make those changes they don't want to make the adjustments that's something that you and I are perfectly comfortable doing and and just moving as the situation goes I mean and I think right now I also have Bryce Young over CJ Stroud as my QB three, and I'm glad you talked about that that next section, you know, because that that definitely segues into the running back. So let's talk. Bijan goes at eight. We did an entire podcast on Bijan. Yeah. You know, it, it, it I thought turned out really well. We said, hey, what if he goes to the Falcons? Like, if he doesn't go to the Eagles, the Falcons are a great landing spot. Love it. It is an ideal spot because you look at Tyler Algiers last year put up 1,100 rushing yards. Now you get Bijan Robinson in there, and man, I like I am so excited. He's been the dynasty RB one probably since the the end of the season. You couldn't really put him in when he was still in college, but once their season ended, it's like okay, he's the dynasty RB one. He's that guy. Bijan Robinson. Now I saw um, my man Debra, Derek Brown Debro over at Fantasy Pros put. He has him as his RB3 overall for redraft now. So what kind of year one ceiling can we see from B. John Robinson? And we talked about it in the past right now. So many people aren't ready for B. John Robinson, but you still got to get that value. I mean, I'm getting people messaging me. Hey, Dad, should I give up, you know, the the 206 to, to, to move back to two? And I'm like, no, like you need more. You If I'm moving from one to two, I need a first. If I'm moving from two to one, maybe we talk something a little bit less on my end. And I'm always 
people struggle with that idea, right? Like a price isn't a price. It's like I have a buying price and I have a selling price. Yeah, and and you know, I, I just said earlier I'd be happy to give a mid second to move up from one oh two to one oh one. So obviously that's not what I'd look to sell you, at. So exactly. Completely spot on there. Bijan at I mean, listen, it's a great landing spot. Arthur Smith is a creative offensive mind who loves to run the football. The only and the the running backs for Atlanta ran for twenty two hundred yards last season, which is absolutely insane. Um they had almost they had four hundred and fifty rushing attempts last season. So Bijan, even if he only gets 75% of the workload, which is kind of what I anticipate, could mm-hmm. easily be a top five running back, especially rushing the football. I think he's plus 700 right now to lead the league in rushing. I think that's a pretty solid bet. My concern for him, and we didn't see it in a huge sample size with Desmond Ritter, but I'm worried about his receptions because last mm-hmm. season, Tyler Algier only had 16 receptions. That's not really his game. Corderell Patterson only had 21 receptions and he played part-time at wide receiver. So it's just not a team that threw a lot to the running backs last year. Neither did Tennessee when Arthur Smith was down there. Bijan Robinson is an elite weapon that they just took in the top 10. They're going to change their offense to cater to him. It's the same situation as any of these guys going in the first round. It's not like this is a third round pick where he's just going to fit in. So I think they're going to find Bijan Robinson ways to get the football. I think Desmond Ritter is probably more comfortable and more likely throwing to running backs than Mariota was, but that's just one small concern I have for him. I'm not sure he's going to get to that, you know, 70 catch ceiling that I think we see for him ultimately in his career. But I think he should be in the, you know, 40 to 50 catch range, which is enough to be a top five running back. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the the weapons in Atlanta right now. I mean, obviously you have the RB1, you have arguably the tight end one or tight end two and you have a top 10 wide receiver in Drake London so you know you have to look at at what Atlanta's capable of doing you know and I think there's a situation there where it's definitely going to rise Ritter up a little bit as far as what he's capable of doing it also makes whoever goes there next year because I don't think Ritter's the the long-term solution there you know they get the right quarterback in that situation it is electric but to to your point I think that's a great talk about not getting enough receptions to really hit that ceiling that he that he is going to someone who i think will though is our guy you know snoog snoog wanted to do an entire podcast just to talk about him but jameer gibbs going at number 12 has to just blow people it just blew their minds right because we were talking about him at 28 to 31 some of those big teams and Detroit was never really an option, right? You were never like, okay, well, they just signed Montgomery and, and Swift's coming back. But now you have to look at it completely different. You know, yeah. like if you weren't on to Gibbs before, you really don't have any excuse not to be now. I mean, guys that go in that top 12 area is rare air. Those are guys that are, are RB1s year in and year out. And the NFL is showing us something that like, if you weren't in on Gibbs, you have to be, right? Like this is a guy with the, the number of receptions he could have year one. You know, we talked about that Bijan eventually will get to 70 receptions. I could see a situation here where, Mike, that he gets in that area year one. Oh, yeah, that's that's actually my expectation, which might sound a little crazy, but I, I think that's kind of the expected outcome. You look at what... Uh, Elvin Kamara did his rookie year. He had 81 catches. Uh, mm-hmm. Austin Eckler in 2019, his first year outside of the Melvin Gordon system. I believe he had 92 catches. You look back at DeAndre Swift, who barely got any usage the last three years, was injured for missed three games each of the last three years. And he had 156 catches over that time period. So even he was averaging, you know, 65 catches a season if you prorate that. And that was pay- playing way less than I expect Gibbs to play. So I think Gibbs is an absolute home run. I, I actually spent some time this morning looking up hit rates for running backs drafted in the top 15. Because I saw what that. You're that saying was fire, is, man. That, it's, yeah. it's unbelievable. So 95% of them have a top 24 season in their career. 82% of them have a top 12 season. And 55% of them have a top 6 season. Not only that, but 55% of them have a top 12 season in their first two years in the league. So basically, Jameer Gibbs is a coin flip to be a top five running back at some point and a coin flip to be a top 12 running back in either his first or second year. I, I think he's just bulletproof at this at this point. I do want to ask you about the landing spot because some people are concerned about it. 
we know Montgomery is there. We know Jameer Gibbs has some question marks as far as his red zone running goes. And obviously DeAndre Swift is there. Let's timestamp this at uh, 2.11 p.m. Eastern time because I don't think he's going to be there very long. But what do you think about the landing spot? Well, I, I saw when they were, were you know discussing this with ownership and they said, well, DeAndre Swift is still here yet, right? That big word, yet. He's on his way out. We know that's going to happen. Love to see him lined up with, you know, the Rams, the Chiefs. There's a lot of options there where I think DeAndre Swift was was held back. I would love to see this is just, I mean, you have to shake it out a little bit, but I think this is an area where this is a, a clear-cut RB1. This is a guy that in Dynasty, right now I have moved at that 104 range after you get past you know, Bijan and the two quarterbacks, he's my four. We, we teetered back and forth with JSN. And I think when you're close like this, you have to favor for towards the running back. And I think even in, in one quarterback league, the distance between one and two, that gap has closed quite a bit as well. So I, I'm all in on Gibbs. I'm excited to see what he does this year. And I think now's you know we missed that time we were trying to move him into that six spot you and i were doing that everywhere trying to get into the six now i think you're gonna have to pay four maybe he falls to five but that's about it yeah so i mean i've been making a ton of trades to acquire the 105s and the 106s hoping i'd get jsn or gibbs listen if gibbs goes 104 i'm happy to take cj stroud at the 105 or the 106 it does it makes that spot better not worse right like i the reason you trade to the 106 is because it's sixth player tier you know essentially Mm -hmm. um so yeah i mean jeremy fowler already reporting that teams are contacting deandre swift contacting the lions about a deandre swift trade uh his agent is apparently talking to different teams about it i think it's going to happen this weekend it seems like deandre swift won't be a detroit lion for long what do you think his value is on the trade market I've been getting that question nonstop, you know, and I think he is a talented running back. You look at over the last three years, over 4.6 yards per carry, 25 touchdowns. I mean, he has, he has that upside. Like we've seen him coming out of, out of school where we were like, this is a guy that could be an RB one in dynasty for sure. I had him before everything started, like the early process of the off season, I had him worth maybe the one eight to one ten, Yeah. And that has just slowly soured and soured. And you look at in startup value, he's dropped, three rounds, you know, from the beginning of the off season until now. And now it's even more, you know, so I am, I am advocating. I've seen a lot of dynasty polls out there, people saying that they're selling them for mid seconds. And I feel like I have to jump in there at that area. You know, I, I would feel comfortable paying 203, 202, 203, maybe, but I don't want to, I don't want to pay too much more. I'm not paying anything worth a first right now. And I, I mean, I've seen people do the 25 first route, I'd be okay with that if that's the way you play. I don't like doing that because you get you get too far out and, and you can't get them back in. But I think if you're talking about right now, like there's 10 guys in one through 10 that have already been drafted. Charbonnet is going to be the next guy to go and he's going to be in that top 11. And then I think whoever that RB4 is and maybe RB5 are, are right there towards the top. You know, Downs is going to be in this area. So mm-hmm. I feel like you're giving up the RB5 in this class or Josh Downs if you if you go after DeAndre Swift at that 202. That's why I'm saying 203, 204, I'm in. Yeah, it's tough because Swift is already, I mean, this is his fourth year. Um, he's probably, he's going to be on a new team this year who's, they'll probably give him a year before deciding if they want to keep him. Yeah. Before this happened, I had Swift in the same tier as the 111 and the 112. Mm-hmm. Given this new, like, honestly, I think a trade is good for him. It has so, to be. I wouldn't pay the 111 or 112 because I don't think you have to, but I'm in that same range as you where I think DeAndre Swift is a better player than, you know, Tajay Spears or Izzy Abanacanda or, you know, mm-hmm. Tank Bigsby. I, he's a different level prospect. I mean, looking yeah. at looking at my prospect grades, he's eighth of all running back since 2018. That's well above any of the guys I just mentioned. So I'm going to stick with Swift as an early to mid second. And I think buying him now is really important because once he gets traded, it's going to be one of these teams with an open running back position. He's going to have a good opportunity because I think someone's probably going to have to pay a fourth round pick or so in the NFL, which, which is a lot of value to give up because, you know, basically you could take a guy like Tank Bigsby in the fourth round. So some team is going to identify him. And I think he's going to be a bigger part of their offense than he would be in Detroit. Absolutely love that. And I, I agree completely. I mean, I, I think if you can buy him, some people are trying to hit that panic button now. You know, yes. th- there's not going to be a scenario where a team 
brings him in and gives him less opportunity because now they're trading for him. You right. know, they're going to trade for DeAndre Swift. And sometimes, honestly, watching the Lions play last year was maddening because we so were getting awful. Justin Jackson was getting more carries. You know, yeah. like, what is going on here? Where what did DeAndre Swift do to kind of get into this area? I was excited because he was entering a contract year. And a lot of times when you get into that contract year, they're not worried about your workload. You're not worried about your usage. If you're going out there and you're producing, it's going to happen. So um, my my question for you, last year between Jamal Williams, DeAndre Swift, and Justin Jackson, the Detroit Lions had 360 rushing attempts. And just to give a sense of where that ranked, which is a lot, to give a sense where that ranked among the league, that was 13th in the league in rushing attempts. So about mm-hmm. even, I expect them to be in a similar place last uh, this season. So out of those 360 rushing attempts, how many do you think Gibbs will get? 180. Maybe. Yeah, I'm, I'm I, at I about like, that. I, I was at 10 per game. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to be. But what he's able to do with those is, is what's completely different. You know, like yeah, and, think, and, and he's going to get five targets a game. So that, that's correct. all you need. I mean, he I've always said if he can hit the upper range of 12 to 15 touches a game, he's going to be an elite fantasy running back. And I think that's where he'll be. Yeah, and he's going to be what we wanted Swift to be, honestly. I mean, look at yeah. Jamal Williams last year, over 1,000 yards, 17 touchdowns. I think Montgomery is more of that 800-yard, 10-touchdown kind of guy in that offense because I think this offense is going to be fun. But I think Gibbs is a lot more of that, you know, 70 receptions, seven to 10 touchdowns, a couple of receive like in between receiving and, and rushing and, and, and Detroit picks so high and Detroit picks third today in the second round. I, I think it's pretty likely they draft either a wide receiver or a tight end at that spot. They also pick 17th uh, with the 48th pick. So I, and I'm sorry, and 24th with the 55th pick, they've three second rounders. It seems very likely that they'll get at least one pass catcher. Love it. Perfect transition into the pass catchers. So then we move out to 20, right? And JSN is the wide receiver one of this class. I've never faltered any direction. People asked if he goes to this area, this area, what what can change it? To me, it wasn't anything. And now he goes to Seattle. I was hoping he lasted one more pick and went to the Chargers. I really was because I thought that's a, a scenario where he can really excel. But what was your instant reaction to Seattle because a lot of people are like oh it's crowded DK Metcalf TJ you know Tyler Lockett what's your instant reaction and then how have you had that marinate over the last couple of hours yeah so one thing that I saw today it was Kev White at dynasty underscore goat on Twitter he tweeted something awesome today was that you should use landing spot as a tiebreaker not as, a tier breaker I love that and that is crucial yeah. I, I never heard it said like that before. I've always said, you know, it should be a tiebreaker, but I had JSN a tier above those guys, which means yeah. I do not care what landings. If he landed in Cincinnati, I still would have him above those guys. Yeah. So it really doesn't matter to me. And when I look at the Seattle situation, well, first of all, let's talk about JSN versus Gibbs. Cause I think we both agree that he's a tier above these other wideouts. I agree. Do you have Gibbs a tier above JSN at this point? No, not, so, a, not a full tier, but I understand like when we're in that six right now, my tiers it's Bijan by himself. Then you got then you got your quarterbacks. You have you know Stroud and Young, and then it then I would in that area if you're super QB needy, I could see going Stroud, but I have Gibbs, and then I have Gibbs and JSN. It's still in that same, and I so, understand. So let's say you're at 105, Gibbs and JSN are on the board. How much are you asking for to move back to 106? 24 two. Okay. I mean, can you get that? Probably not. You know, I feel like you have to get a little bit creative on that, but it really depends on your situation. If I am going in year two of a, a you know, of a one year punt or a rebuild and I have, I mean, I'm, I have a running back position like in, in smash one, I have AJ Brown, CD lamb, Jalen Waddle and Jerry Judy. Okay. I'm going Gibbs at, at this spot. You know what I mean? And then there's other situations where I'm coming out of that year one punt and I, I don't think there's a wrong way to take Gibbs because I think Gibbs's longevity especially with the way he plays is going to be a lot longer than what people think I mean you know Alvin Kamara has been this relevant for years because he's because of the way he's used because of you know the receptions not as Christian McCaffrey Austin Eckler yeah like yeah no absolutely I so I I I mean I have Gibbs now a tier above JSN I I actually moved Gibbs above JSN to be my 105 before the draft and this this draft just solidifies it for me I mean a running back going in the top 12 is so yeah. rare. 
It's happened basically once a year since 2000, and it's happened zero times in the last four years. You look at JSN going 20, that's usually the wide receiver four of a draft, Mm -hmm. maybe wide receiver three. So listen, I love JSN. I actually have him higher ranked based on film than Jameer Gibbs, but it's an okay landing spot. It's not a great one. He is a little bit duplicative with Tyler Lockett. Um, The thing that a lot of people aren't realizing because Tyler Lockett just signed this extension is that he's probably not going to be in Seattle in 2024. So Mm -hmm. I dug into his contract. They have a clear out after this season where they only need to take 14 million of dead cap. That might sound like a lot, but he's on the books for 24 million for each of the two years after that, if they don't take that. So I think it's likely, I mean, maybe they restructure it either way. Tyler Lockett's going to be entering his age 31 season. That's where you see a pretty significant drop off for wide receivers. And I think JSN is a perfect complement for DK Metcalf. I think he's a very good fit for Geno Smith. I'm pretty high on this landing spot, like overall, compared to what the consensus is. I'd say it's about like the median outcome for what a landing spot could be. And I think he can learn a lot from guys like Lockett and Metcalf. They have very different skill sets that I think JSN could learn a lot for. So I'm pretty excited about it. I'm a little upset about the draft capital. If Seattle had traded up to 14, 11 and taken him, right. Then I would feel, then I might have them in the same tier, but it matters, right? No one wanted him for the first 19 picks that, that Mm -hmm. matters. Yeah. And I mean, the, the argument that I keep hearing people say is, well, you know, we were expecting him maybe coming out if he goes to the right situation with 22% type target share. You know, he's used to being in a crowded area. Obviously yeah. at, at Ohio State, he was going with Wilson and Alave and absolute ballers and Harrison. Now he goes to an area where similar type thing, you know, he's going to have to compete with targets from with Metcalf and, and Lockett. But I'm not scared at that. If anything, this makes your Geno Smith buys even better, right? Like Geno Smith yep. was someone you and I talked about a month and a half ago where we started buying him on the cheap in that late first or random to late 24 first. And now they avoid, I mean, he is clear cut, maybe the biggest winner from day one, because one, there was rumor of them taking, you know, a quarterback at five. That doesn't happen Two, he gets JSN. And now we're in this situation where he is a very safe you know, super flex dynasty quarterback where he went from a week ago being potentially in that risky area. Yeah. And I, I, I made a trade for Geno Smith about a week ago. I traded the one eleven for him. Um, I got grilled. I, I posted this on Twitter. 65% would have taken the pick. I just posted it on Twitter this morning and 65% would take Geno Smith. So it's risky. Obviously, I you could say I got lucky. I, I think I just read it right that they trust in Geno Smith and adding JSN certainly helps that as well. Um, talking about the Seattle receiving situation. So they had 400 receptions last year. Seattle did. Can you guess how many receptions their third highest wide receiver had? And, and try to guess who it is. <laughs> that, I mean, I know Dwayne Eskridge is in the in the mix as they're like wide receiver four now. Yeah. Um, but I, I like... 38. 27 by Marquise Goodwin. That's so bad. The fourth highest was Eskridge with seven. The fifth highest was Laquan Treadwell with six. So clearly there's a lot of room in this offense. They need more receivers, right? Their tight ends had over 100 catches last year between Disley, Fant, and Parkinson. That's because they couldn't play three wide receiver sets because they did not have a good third wide receiver. What I'm going to be interested to see is that Tyler Lockett throughout his career averaged about 55 to 60% slot rate. And in the last two years, he's been down at about 40%. And largely that's because they don't have a third receiver. So they were running a lot of 12 personnel. I'm interested to see whether Lockett and JSN alternate in the slot or whether one of them kind of takes over that role full time. Do you have an instinct on what might happen there? I think they end up going back more towards Lockett in the inside. I mean, JSN can play on both. I think he he would definitely thrive more in you know, in the slot, but I think, I think they ultimately move Lockett more in there. You know, so it, w- what's your projection for JSN just approximate for his rookie season? We talk, I would say I could see a situation where, you know, we look at maybe 70 receptions and 950 yards, six touchdowns, something like that on the yeah. low end, you know, like if DK Met, what, what people don't realize when they look at these landing spots of these next couple of wide receivers is you know, you can. I want to draft these guys based off what I think their floor projection is going to be. But DK Metcalf gets hurt, or Tyler Lockett gets hurt. JSN stock 
is going to go up because he was going to he's not a type of wide receiver you're going to hold back you know the more production he the more opportunities he gets the better the production and it Right now, you're getting him at a discount because people are starting to move him back a little bit. I see some people even moving him. I'm not there. I can't possibly do it based off of what we've done with all the film analysis and all we've talked about. I'm seeing people moving Quentin Johnston, who was the pick next, after him as their wide receiver one because he lands in the Chargers. And I, I just can't see it. I mean, we have this stretch here of Quentin Johnston goes 21 to the Chargers. Zay Flowers goes 22 to the Ravens. Addison goes 23 to the Vikings. And I like them all. I don't love them all. You know, like this is a nice area. I think, you know, Zay Flowers gets to potentially be the the wide receiver one there with, with Bateman, you know, try to work things out. But we know Lamar Jackson doesn't throw as often. You know, I think Lamar balls out this year. He ends up getting paid. I think he has closer to an MVP type season than he has in the last, you know, couple of years. Jordan Addison falls into an area of like, Devonta Smith light, you know, he's going to be going to be I, ideal for his career to be next to Justin Jefferson. Um, and then Quentin Johnson in a, you know, a, a, what is a perfect power forward type offense, right? <laughs> you got him and Mike Williams, absolutely monsters yeah. on the outside. What do you like about all three of these? I mean, like some of them, I love that Quentin Johnson is going to be tied to Justin Herbert. I love that Flowers is tied to Lamar. Jordan Addison gets cousins in a, you know, towards the end of his career here, but how do we differentiate between the three? Cause I had all three in the same tier, but ultimately I think we're just moving them. I've moved them around a little bit in my rankings, but they're all still in the same tier for me. Yeah, I get that. So I, I want to start with Zay flowers. Um, I, I've been lower on him for a while. Um, mm-hmm. His metrics are God awful. Uh, you can listen <laughs> to my podcast. Yeah. He, he, he has very poor numbers. You can blame Phil Jerkovich, the BC quarterback for that. You can do whatever you want. He just wasn't as impressive as these other two guys numerically. Um, I hate the fit. I, I think Jay Flowers is going to be an absolute bust. Um, I, I gotta I gotta say this fit is so bad. Lamar Jackson's career high in terms of passing attempts per game is thirty two. Yeah, that is his career high. Now I know Munkin's coming in there. Maybe you say that lifts a little bit, but the truth is. Munkin is a smart offensive mind. He is not going to throw the ball in a drop back system with Lamar Jackson because that's mm-hmm. not what he's best at. It, it would just make absolutely no sense. Lamar Jackson has never passed for more than 3,100 yards in his career. So I look at the way that you split it up. Mark Andrews is still the best player on that offense, best receiver on that offense. He's going to get his 25% target share. You got Rashad Bateman there who, you know, has flashed when he's been healthy. You got Odell Beckham there. It's not even that. It's just the wide receiver pie is not big enough. When Marquise Mm -hmm. Brown was the only wide receiver there, he was a solid fantasy player. First of all, I think Marquise Brown definitely is a better prospect than Zay Flowers is. But even at that point, Marquise Brown only had 106 receptions in two seasons there. He had a very good third year where he had 91 catches. And that's really the ceiling because he had those 91 catches where the other players on that team this is another fun game. The other wide receivers on that team, first of all, they had no running backs. That's the year J.K. Dobbins got hurt. That's the year mm-hmm. I forget who else got uh, Latavius Murray got hurt. They had Tyson Williams for a while. So after Marquise Brown, Rashad Bateman got injured halfway through the season. And then they had Sammy Watkins. They had James Prochet. They had Devontae Freeman soaking up 35 targets. It was an absolute joke. And the Ravens are not going to be a joke this year. I project that they draft a pass-catching running back, I would assume, probably mm-hmm. in the fourth or fifth round. I think that it's going to be very tough for Flowers to get more than 18% target share. And if Lamar Jackson's only throwing 32 times a game, 18% target share is five targets a game. That's not going to be enough for Zay Flowers. So I'm worried about him. I think he's going to be a bust. I think he might have 500, 600 yards this season. Um how about you? I see player profiler has him right now projected at six twenty four and four. You know, okay. I, I think yeah, gonna no, I, to, I see that. I think they're going to have to be creative on how they get him the ball. I mean, he is a, a yak monster if they get him in the right areas and get him into open space. But that hasn't been what Baltimore has done in the past. So I, I understand that. I like the player. I don't love the situation as much. The, and, and the other issue is they play a lot of two and three tight end sets with Andrews mm-hmm. and Likely. They have good tight ends now, and I mean they always have. Is he even going to see the field? I don't think his snap share is going to be that high. I know they just drafted him in the first round, but 
if they're playing a one wide receiver set, he is a terrible run blocker. So he's not going to be the guy there because Bateman is good at that. So I, I just don't know if he's only going to play 60% of the snaps and he's only going to get an 18% target share. I think that 600 yards that you mentioned that player profile hasn't projected, that's pretty much accurate. I, I'm worried about Zay Flowers. I, I think he's a good bet to go down in dynasty value. Well, and I think the better fit, even, I mean, you know, we're not, we don't know NFL GMs, but I mean, the better fit for them almost felt like Jordan Addison. Jordan Addison goes to the next pick. And, you know, if you flip-flop these two and you put Zay Flowers in Minnesota and you say he's the second guy in the way that they run their offense, but Jordan Addison has to get the biggest bump here out of this tier. I think moving to Minnesota is going to be great for his, his dynasty stock right there from day one. Yeah, I agree. I actually boost Quentin Johnston a little bit more than Jordan Addison. Um, however, I think it's that's kind of just uh, picking hairs. I, I think mm-hmm. they're very similar. They get they both get a big offensive boost because it's a great fit, like you mentioned. Like I think Jordan Addison, they're installing basically the Ram system into Minnesota. Jordan Addison slides right into basically that Robert Woods role with Justin Jefferson running the Cooper Cup mold. We saw Robert Woods, who is not as talented of a player as Jordan Addison, putting up a thousand yards in that system. I think it's a great fit because Addison was never going to be an alpha wide receiver. I like what you said about Devonta Smith light. Addison's going to have the opportunity to play some slot. Um, And listen, this is why, like, yeah, they have TJ Hawkins in there. They have Justin Jefferson there. But this is why landing spot and volume matter so much. I mentioned earlier that uh, Lamar only has 32 pass attempts per game. Kirk Cousins had 240 more pass attempts last year than Lamar Jackson has ever had. Literally 60% more. So Jordan Addison could get an 18% target share and still put up 1,100 yards. So I, I, I do like the landing spot a lot for Jordan Addison. He is right for me in that range with the 108-109 area. Um, I, I, I'm still deciding between him and QJ, but they're, they're both right there for me. I know, that's tough because Quentin Johnson is like, you, you tie him to Justin Herbert. And we know the ceiling is arguably the highest in the entire class. The floor yeah. is lesser than what we've seen with Mike Mike Williams and right now Mike Mike Williams is a wide receiver 3 at best when you're doing startups, you know, and I, the offense is right. We'll just see how it ties in, you know, and I think if if you had to pick today, I'm taking Addison over Johnson, but it's close. How about yourself? Ah, oh, man. I I just it, don't know. Like I, I, I'm, I'm moving out. <laughs> like that's what. So I, ha- I did a strategy session today, and our Patreon yeah. guy has the 109, and he says, "Which one of these three guys would you take?" And I said, "I am moving." You know, and this is where you're fantastic with the rookie analysis and going in there. The one thing that you and I both specialize in is roster construction and how to do this. And this is the area where we know 2024 is that area that that is going to be another phenomenal draft class. So if you can move back and get the plus. You know, and, and save yourself, especially if you're win now, you know, this is an area where you can trade and get a, you know, get a cup or a guy like that. And you might yeah. have to add a little bit, but I, I think everyone gets locked in on, hey, I have the 109. What do I take? The 109 is until you draft it, it is a piece to move around with. It is capital. It's it go- is liquid currency. Exactly. Yeah. You get that 24 first plus you know, a wide receiver that's worth a second. So you get into that area. You get, you move up and you get that wide receiver that you want. You don't necessarily have to be here in the middle. So I think that's kind of where I'm at. I actually made a trade this morning where I traded uh, my 109 for Amari Cooper and a 24 first. I love that. Amari Cooper is going to give me more value, more production than the wide receiver I would take would do for the next Mm -hmm. two years. And then I get a 24 first. That's, that's the type of move guys like him, even guys like Mike Evans, Tyler Lockett. You can target those guys, get the same amount of production for the next few seasons and get a re-roll next year. What could potentially be a better pick. Um, As far as Quentin Johnston, it's tough. I, I didn't like his tape at all. The numbers are mediocre at best. Uh, mm-hmm. He really relies a lot on his athleticism, which isn't going to be as much of a weapon at the NFL le- level. That being said, I'm lifting him up in my rankings because being tied to a guy like Justin Herbert means that he could hit that ceiling. So yeah. maybe I had it as a 3% chance before. If that's now a 5% chance, that is a meaningful difference because if Quentin Johnson comes out and has two catches for 80 yards and a touchdown in week one, you are never getting it. His value is going to skyrocket. And Mm -hmm. we've seen what Mike Williams could do in that offense. I mean, he hasn't been healthy very much, 
But in his second year, Mike Williams put up 10 touchdowns. He also had seven rushes, by the way, which I think is might be an interesting way they use uh, Quentin Johnson. And in his third year, he put up 1,000 yards on 90 targets. So he has that kind of Mike Will- healthy Mike Williams ceiling, but obviously he's a better athlete than Mike Williams as well. Mm-hmm. Both wide receivers are getting old. Clearly they're readjusting the wide receiver room a little bit for Herbert's prime. Listen, the ceiling's there. I would not blame anyone for taking Quentin Johnson above Jordan Addison at the 107 above Zach Charbonnet. We'll see where he lands. That's totally okay. You just might be taking an absolute zero, and you have to be okay with that. Yep, absolutely. The The next pick, you know, Buffalo needed another pass catcher. They oh, really baby. did. And they're, you know, they're, they're, I'm, I'm a Bills fan, so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, man, we missed on – JSN, we missed on Johnson, we missed on Flowers, we missed on Addison. I'm like, are they who are they gonna go with here? They move up and they get their Travis Kelsey light, Dalton Kincaid. I am just I have last about two weeks ago I moved him up to my 112 as that late first, which I don't do for tight ends. You know, like I don't play Dynasty that way, but Dalton Kincaid has the look of that next big time tight end. And in this situation, he is going to be looked at potentially as the wide receiver two on this team. You know, like I, I feel like we have a scenario where kind of Evan Ingram in the past where he's not going to be asked to block a lot. He's going to get a lot of open spaces in a phenomenal offense. Yeah. I mean, this is just an absolutely amazing fit. Um, I'm so happy. Dalton Kincaid was my one Oh nine before the draft. I'm just nice. about as high as you can get on Dalton yeah. Kincaid. He might be moving up to my one Oh eight or one Oh seven, depending on Charbonnet's landing spot. Because I think he's just as good as these other receivers. And if mm-hmm. you get that half end, half tight end point premium, which is what I'm factoring in for these rankings, why wouldn't you take him above for a position where there's more scarcity? I think he has just as much upside to be a real difference maker and provide more value over replacement. And I think he's ready. Listen, clearly all of his medicals checked out. I loved his toughness playing through the back injury at Utah. After every touchdown he scored, it took him like a minute to get up because you could see how much pain he was in. But I love seeing the toughness out of that guy. My question for you is that what's going to happen with Dawson Knox? Because Dawson Knox is, he's an average tight end, right? Clearly he was lifted up by Josh Allen. Uh, He Mm -hmm. just received an extension. He's not going to never play. So do you think Kincaid's going to be in a part-time role? Do you think Kincaid's going to be their, you know, big slot wide receiver? What what do you see shaking out there? I see him more as the big slot as well. And I think Dawson Knox is is, is a slightly better blocker. They put him in more in those situations. You know, goal line, you get those two tight end situations where I still think Dawson Knox puts up six touchdowns. You know, he's always got that red zone ability to sniff out the you know the some of those big targets but it's got to be Kincaid like people are asking me what to do with Knox and you're just not going to get anything for him in the trade market I mean that that's that ship has sailed it was you might have been able to get a mid-third earlier but I mean you're not getting anything for him so you might as well hold on yeah and I mean looking back at Dawson Knox last season 60 percent of his pass routes were uh either uh out wide or from the slot which is an awesome number for Kincaid to take over Dawson Knox says had at least 77 targets in each of the last two seasons. If you just give Kincaid those 80 targets, I mean, he's so much more explosive after the catch. He has way better hands than Dawson Knox. Like you said, they targeted him a lot in the red zone. I think we're going to see a lot of slot fades for Dalton Kincaid, a lot of seam routes. I am so excited. I I think he, like, I could not be more excited. Please talk me off a ledge. Where are you drafting no, Dalton Kincaid? No, that's where I... I was toying around because I'm, I'm starting to work my rankings and I was like, I, okay, so JSN's at six. I still think, depending on what the landing spot is for Charbonnet today, he's still my seven. And then I was toying with that eight to 10 range. I had him at okay. 12 a week ago, but now it's like, you have to look at where you're at in, in that area. And I think the tight end scarcity, like I was putting him as my dynasty tight end seven, but I think like he's right there with, if not, I mean, he's a better prospect than, than Pat Fryermuth, and he's my seven. So I was like, if you're talking about a guy being a top six dynasty tight end by the end of year one, or maybe even two, you have to at least kick the tires in that eight to 10 range. Yeah. So I have a tier in my tight end rankings of Goddard, Kittle, and Fryermuth. Correct. He's going to be in that tier. I, I might take, I don't know that I would trade George Kittle. I mean, that I would trade Dalton Kincaid for George Kittle. I would probably take him. He might be yeah. tight end five or six for me at this point. I, I, I would not. 
I would not trade Hawkinson for him, but I think you're right. I mean, if you're given the age and everything like that, I had him the tier below, like right underneath them. But I think he has to be really right in, in line with at least Fryermuth in value, but the younger version of those other two. Yeah, I, I think at this point, it's basically a tier of those four players that we discussed. It's Addison, Quentin Johnston, Dalton Kincaid, and Zach Charbonnet. Whatever, depending where Charbonnet ends up, that seems to be what the order is going to be. And that's what I love about this process. Well, and, so, and, and maybe Zay Flowers. Yeah, so many people had Mayer up there, you know, about three months ago, and Kincaid. Kincaid was like a late second, then he moved to a mid-second, then he moved to an early second, then he moved to a late first. Now he's like... He's, he's right there in the middle of it, and I'm excited, man. Like, this was a phenomenal experience day one, doing things oh, yeah. with, with our, both of our Patreons and really kind of getting excited and, and getting people going. Um, let's wrap up here. What's that biggest guy day two that you're excited to see? Uh, so for me, it's two of my favorite guys in the draft. I, I'm going to cheat and say two. It, it's Zach Charbonnet, number one overall, because – his landing spot is going to be so crucial. If he goes in the second round and gets one of these elite landing spots later on in the draft. So I'm looking at a team like Washington, like Tampa at 50, like Miami at Miami. 51, like the chargers at 54, all of these landing Cincinnati at 60. He's going to be the one Oh seven with a bullet. 100%. So, there's also a chance he slips to round three. There's a chance he gets drafted by a team like Jacksonville and or Buffalo, and then we don't really know his situation. So it's really going to be interesting. I'm really intrigued about that. The other guy that I'm interested in is Josh Downs. I hope that he goes early in the second round to one of these teams with a young quarterback. So I'm looking at Detroit. I'm looking at Indianapolis. I'm looking at Carolina. All three of those teams – uh, picking the top eight of today's draft. So hopefully he goes to a spot there, but I, I'm a little worried he's going to go to somewhere like Tennessee and just fall off the face of the earth. Yeah, no, I, I feel you there. Um, guys, this has been fun. You know, I'm excited to see whoever that RB4 is. You know, yeah. that, that guy is going to be the 112 in your rookie draft. Who, you know, like, who do you think it's going to be? I, I think it's Devin A-Chain. I, I mean, wow. like, like, I don't know who it is in that area, but that's the guy. Like, I've had Evans as my as my four in the process, but I think HN gets drafted a little bit earlier. We'll see where it is. You know, like, right now, who if you had to pick who that guy is going to be, I want it to be Tank Bigsby in my heart, but I don't think that's going to be it. How many running backs and wide receivers do you think go in round two? <sighs> running backs, I think it was two. Like, I think it's Charbonnet. You think it's Charbonnet and one more? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Wide receivers, maybe, maybe three. I can I can see Mims going in there. I can see Hyatt, you know. But I I think there's one other wild card in there. But I think I think day round three, round four, we're gonna see a lot more of those, and that's scary for me because that's where you want to avoid taking those kind yeah. of guys. My prediction is we're gonna see like seven wide receivers in round two. Wow! I think there's gonna be an absolute run on them. I think we see. Uh, Cedric Tillman, I think we, I think we really see a run on these wide receivers when people realize that they're not going to last till round three. But yeah, we'll see about that. Hey, I love it, guys. Hey, we're gonna keep doing this. Thanks again for tuning in, guys, and enjoy the process.